When I was a, a young boy, uh, I would grow up in, growing up in College Station, I had the amazing privilege of living in a neighborhood that had a number of other young boys there. That's not always the case. It's not, um, there's a few in, in our street now, but it's kind of spread out. And growing up uh, where we did on Suffolk and Park Place and College Station, there were just a number of, of boys my exact same age, um, just growing up from the time we were three on uh, when we moved to town. And we just would play with each other. We play all the time. I have so many memories of, of playing with, with these guys, with these friends. And I don't remember any kind of, of, of parental supervision during the time. There was never a play date. Um, I don't really, it's mo most parents, I remember like, hey, a passing hey in the background. But it would be like, I would leave that to all my parents. I'm okay, we're going out. I'm going out to play with, with my, my friends. Or I don't even know what I said. Like, I don't remember the logistical issues it was just we would be playing in a backyard in a front yard we'd play football play tag and hide and go seek we built forts we played video games all these things and these um these, these good friends and i remember um so many so many joyful memories and but the thing about friendship is eventually um oftentimes it changes because we are not the same person when we are six as when we are 16 as when we are 60. and oftentimes our interests change when i was in seventh grade I, I still wanted to be with these friends and they were all going out for football. And so I went out for football too and they were all going out for uh, offensive line. And, and so I, I went out for offensive line. I didn't know, but I just wanted to be with my friends and they were all on like the AAA team and I was all on the BBBBB team. I, I neither then nor now do I have the physical body type for an offensive lineman, um, but I did it. I followed through the whole year. I didn't quit that year because I wanted to be with my friends. My brothers and sisters, we are continuing our series today for the season of Lent on the lost art of finding our way, of how we can in this strange season of the world, when the world in many ways reflects Lenten practices of, of restraint how we can find our way towards our destination and life together with God. Jesus is not often understood as a friend. Well, maybe in a kind of kitschy pop way or in the hymns, what a friend we have in Jesus and that kind of thing. But you don't think about Jesus as a friend as you think about your other friends. Like for instance, right now, think about a friend, any friend, any friend in your life. Think about a friend in your life. Now think about Jesus. Um, and what is, what is similar about that? To be a friend with someone, in some ways, you have to be on the same level, like a group of boys or of girls around the neighborhood. In some ways, Jesus isn't relatable. People might call him too perfect. Oh, that Jesus. I mean, yeah, he did a, another thing. He didn't make a mistake again today. <laughs> but this kind of points to a limit of a conception of perfection as perfection as if it's a lack of errors, as if, um, you know, perfection was decided by like grammar snobs or computer programmers. And when you're, when you're writing in a computer language, whatever software you use will tell you the, that there is an error, um, but it won't sometimes tell you there. And it's one of this super gratifying feeling if you write some code, there's no error. Or if you're doing like accounting, again, I'm, I'm doing like really interesting fields today, like editing, accounting, 
computer programming, but these are these these fields where if you make you know a punctuation off, it can ruin the whole system. Sometimes you know if you're twenty dollar twenty one point one six off on if you're uh, resolve reconciling the books, it can be so frustrating trying to find that money. And then when you find it, it feels so gratifying. But that's not the kind of perfection that Jesus talks about that Christians really talk about. It's not a perfection based on error, but a perfection based in love. As, as the hymn writer Charles Wesley says, um, to shed, he sh shed everything but love, gave up everything but love. Perfection in the Christian sense is to not have all the non-loves in our life. And that's what Jesus offers for us. When life is a competition, we want our friends to have flaws because we want to be able to relate to them. We want to not think they're better than us. This idea of, oh, you think you're better than me is based in this idea of competition that we are after the same pot of gold or after the same jobs or the same spouses, potential mates, or the same houses. When in the overflowing love of God, grace is offered to all of us. It's not a competition for God's love or God's mercy. Instead of a competition when life is a love song from the God who created everything, we want our friends to be blessed. We want the best for them. We do want them to be as good as possible. And we don't care if they're better than us. We want the best for them to be who they were created to be. Jesus was a friend to his disciples and to others that he meet. It was not a friendship based on affinity or, or competition or, or mutual interest. It was not about being a good hang. But as Thomas Aquinas defines it, the constant effective desire to do good for another. And this is super important, so I'm going to say it again. The constant effective desire to do good for another. There is a mutuality to friendship for Jesus. Jesus desires the good of his disciples. Jesus enjoys them. Jesus enjoys you. Not only does God love you, God likes you. God enjoys your company. God enjoys your time. Part of true friendship, though, is not living in the past. I wouldn't be a good friend to, to the people in my life if I constantly looked back and were like compared them to friends when I was a child or just talked about childhood things or just talked about in high school, things in high school. I thought like Al Bundy, that the high school was the only good time in my life. That's not true friendship. In the same way, we have a choice as a church and as a society to either live in hope or to live in nostalgia. Nostalgia desires things the way they were. It is about the good old days and how we can return. It longs for status quo simplicity. The past is not bad because it's past. Our God is a God of history, but our destiny is life together with God when lion lies down with lamb. And if the lion is going to lie down with the lamb, things are going to be different. Our future will not be the same as some golden age of the past that we look back fondly, you know, when kids listened to their parents or streets were safe or you could unlock your, you could leave your doors unlocked or all the kind of nostalgic things. 
But here we get to grief. Jesus grieved. When the gospel writer says Jesus wept, we can read that Jesus grieved. At the end of the story Vicky read today is Lazarus rising again. The end of the Christian story is all our beloveds rising again in the new creation. Yet there is still grief. There is still loss. Jesus weeps. We have all lost in the past few weeks. Some of us may form a hierarchy of all the losts, losses in the world and all the different people who have lost and think, oh, you know, I haven't lost that much. They've lost a lot, but that is a cruel game. Like someone who always tries to assert that their pain is worse. Oh, you lost that person? Well, I lost this person. Oh, your back is bad? Well, my back and ankle and head are bad. Grief is not a competition. Pain is not a competition. It is a reality of a broken world, but it is not the final reality. Lazarus was a sign of what will come. Death no longer has tyranny over us. We don't need to wait for death. We wait for God. In the words of the psalmist, we wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. The metaphor is really, it's really profound, but sometimes can be lost today. Maybe thinking, if you think back to like an old, like a medieval war movie or story or a fantasy story of people taking a night watch and the night watchmen. And if you have, you know, the 3 a.m. to dawn shift, or you have like a midnight to 6 a.m. shift, a midnight to dawn shift, you are going to be looking forward to the morning because then you can rest, then your labors are over and you know you were safe that day. It is a longing for final rest. Our future with God is different from our present today. Our present is different from our present past a month ago. So the question is, are we waiting for the Lord? Are we waiting to look back? The hope of Jesus offered to all is that a flourishing life is now possible to all. You are not the places you go, the past you've had, the sins you have done, or the people you've loved, but you are loved. Not only are you loved, you are liked. God delights in you. So what can we do now? We cannot gather as a church. We cannot welcome and greet and hold each other and notice each other when we say how we are doing and you say like, oh, I'm doing fine. And you notice, and you notice that like, he's not really doing that fine. Something, something is there. I need to ask him seriously. The way, the way you're able to do with friends, the way you're able to notice the little things, the way you're able to notice the, the person who always gets coffee, but today they didn't get coffee and wonder why. What's going on? We can't see that. Instead, we must change our ways in order to see each other and love each other and expand the each others whom we offer a constant, effective desire to do good. God is here for you in this time. Take time to enjoy God and the scriptures. Pick a gospel and start there. Pick up a Bible. Look on the Bible online. Download the Bible app on your phone. Read a little bit every day. Stop. Pray. Question. Write the questions down ask me ask another person you respect don't try and read the bible as fast as you can but as slow as you can take the time to read the bible slowly take the time to chew on the words wrestle with the words as jacob wrestled with a stranger in genesis god enjoys you take time to enjoy god in prayer 
pray for the world. Pray for the prayerless. Pray with the scriptures. Pray the Lord's prayer. This is not the first plague the church has ever faced. Churches closed around the country in 1918 in order to slow the spread of the Spanish flu. The U.S. Health Secretary Michael Levitt said in 2006 that anything we say in advance of a pandemic happening is alarmist. Anything we say afterwards is inadequate. We don't know how long this is going to be. What we can choose to do, though, is stand on the side of life, to not complain or repeat ideologies we see on TV. Instead, we must remember that not only are we loved and forgiven, God enjoys us and enjoys spending time with us. And God does not call us to live for ourselves, but for others, for our neighbors. God enjoys our neighbors. And we want to be able to offer that enjoyment to others. We are to live for the weak and the hurting, for our friends and those who are not yet our friends. For when the lion lies down with the lamb, there will not be another soul whom we do not call friend. Next week is Palm Sunday, and it will be a very different Palm Sunday not being present with you. Yet we still celebrate and pray. We still welcome Jesus to Jerusalem. We still prepare our hearts for Holy Week, prepare our hearts for the Tritium, for Holy Thursday, for Good Friday, for Holy Saturday. We are ready on this path for resurrection, but we are not there yet. And still, God is with us. We are not alone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.